You're listening to a sermon audio from Cypress Church. You can listen to more sermons on our website or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. We hope you enjoy the sermon and invite you to attend one of our services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Well, good morning to you on this, this Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah? You know, uh... Us California fans, we're the worst. You know, if one of our teams are not in it or even on the West Coast, we could care less. Except for, except for a few of you. So how many Patriots fans are we? Three. Any Eagles fans over here? None? Oh, the Eagle fans are louder. Well, I thought this is kind of a fun nationalistic, you know, uh, rivalry. You've got Patriots and Eagles. I mean, it's all American, you know, just... So, it, but you know, you'd hope for, uh, if you're not into one of the other teams, and, and usually, if it's not a California team, we're not, and, and yet, uh, we hopefully get something out of the commercials. But then I hear this year the commercials are the worst ever. So it's like I'm going in this, at least we'll enjoy a good barbecue, right? Or something, whatever you have this morning. But I'm glad you're here on the Super Bowl Sunday. My name is Mike, one of the pastors here, and, and we're going to continue our series in the Bible book of Jonah. Uh, we're looking at Jonah chapter 2 this morning, but I, I wanted to start off with a few sayings, a few quotes, and get your reactions to them if I couldn't, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, <clears throat> the first one is this. It says, uh, world, words build bridges to unexplored regions. Now, think about that for just a moment, thinking, wow, that sounds like a, a good saying there. You know, words do build, you know, the more people communicate, the more bridges are built even with that, and they and they, they go into different unexplored regions. You know, when you start conversation with somebody you don't know, Christy and I started a conversation with somebody in the store that last night, just had a wonderful just chit-chat with them, and it's really great. And, and, and so, yeah, yeah, you can see some uh, truths in that, but what if I was to, does it change anything uh, if these are the words of Adolf Hitler, yeah, it certainly does because you, yeah, uh, uh, his actions, the evil he did, reveals his heart, and we're not sure what he meant by what he said. Adolf Hitler was one of the most heinous people of all of our history, uh, who used his power of persuasion to actually persuade a whole country to believe that they were the chosen race, and to eliminate millions of others. What an atrocity. So, yeah, it changes everything when we find out who actually said it. Uh, Here's another phrase for you to think about. As long as you have love in your heart, you'll never be alone. Oh, that's a, you know, yeah, if you're you're out loving people and you're constantly being kind to one another and and sharing life with other people, that just, you'll have friends and, and it'll be a wonderful thing, isn't it? Well, does it change anything? that these are the words of Charles Manson. And you're going, yes, it does. Because here was this crazy uh, criminal mind that was able to somehow manipulate young people to get them to feel like they were so loved by him that they were willing to do anything for him. Yes, because of his actions, the, the evil he did reveals his heart And we're not sure what he meant by what he said, but it certainly doesn't sound as good as what we just read. Let me give you one more, and I know you're worried. (laughs) Intense love does not measure, it just gives. Now that, 
sounds good. You know, that, that real love given out doesn't, you don't sit there and see how much it is. It, it just, it just simply continues to give. Does it change anything that these are the words of Mother Teresa? Yes, it does. These are the words of Mother Teresa. Uh, 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 it changes everything because her actions, and you're probably a little bit relieved, aren't you? <laughs> like, whew, okay. <laughs> uh, because of her actions, the good and the sacrifice she did, it revealed her heart. And we are more sure by, uh, of what she meant by what she said because of her actions. Because if you know anything about Mother Teresa, she started a movement to care about the poorest of poor, that she was going to love the poorest of poor and not just say that she loved them and not just be on TV to say that she loved them, but she actually was there doing it, loving these kids and these people who the the world had forgotten. And so her actions actually give even more meaning to what the words say here. It's true that our actions do speak louder than our words. And words are cheap unless there is some confirming actions to go behind them. And actually, words and actions reveal our heart. These evil people, though they spoke a few good words, had hearts that were not aligned with God and hearts that said something very different. Jesus put it this way in in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. He said, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks, or some have interpreted it to say that the mouth speaks of that which fills the heart. Now, sure, we all can say the right and even good words at times, but for those whose heart is not right, it's simply just lip service. It's like the kid who says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And they they just keep saying they're sorry. And and you know from their body language and the intensity in which they're saying sorry, they're not sorry at all. They're just sorry they got caught. And then their actions afterwards prove they're really not sorry. The truth is that's the way kids act and they need to be trained differently, but we adults are exactly the same. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And yet we're just as sorry we got caught. And so our heart makes a difference. And that's why God is concerned about our heart, the core of our being. Because humanity has a heart problem. We're born not with a great and wonderful heart. We're born actually with a very bad heart. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is desperately sick and wicked. Romans 3.23, you've probably heard that verse before. It says, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That we all have a sin problem. And our hearts are stuck in that sinful, uh, wicked state. And there's nothing we can do to transform our own heart. Try as we might, we can learn some good habits. But down deep in the core, we're going to constantly be going back to the wrongness of life and not choose the way God wants us to go. And that's why we need a Savior to really help us to actually renovate our heart, to, to actually transplant and give us a new heart and, and put that into us. Now we have the capacity to really live and align our life to God. 
Before we didn't, now we do. And many of you have made that choice of faith. You've come to the place in your life where you believe in Jesus. You get that we're sinful and that we need a Savior, and you know it's Jesus, and so you've committed your life to him, and you're living life as best as you can. Those of you who are still on the way, and I encourage you even today to be thinking about that reality and maybe even thinking about making that choice of faith. But for those of you who have it, yes, we've been given a new heart, but we don't automatically, like a robot, begin to walk and do exactly what God wants. It's still, we still have the power of choice. Therefore, it's easy for us to get out of alignment with God. And that's why in Romans chapter 7, verses 15 to 20, it talks about how we do the very things we don't want to do. Because it seems like all of a sudden we want to do these great things for God, and then all of a sudden, woo, we're just like Jonah, and we run from God. Well, um, there's more to study about that, and I encourage you to uh, pick up the study guides or in the lobby area. I wrote down some more verses you can study about God's concern of our heart in here. This is also a study page that our life groups, a lot of our small groups use, but also you can use it for personal study, and on the back of it is all the answers for the fill in the blanks of the uh, outline of what I'll be talking about in a moment. I also encourage you that if you don't receive it, um, each week I do a kind of a weekly email and I, a blog post. Uh, it goes on to different blogs and posts and Facebook and, and some, sometimes this even appears in the paper locally here, but it, it is, if you want to receive that, an email copy of that, and I, cause I encourage you because they usually complement the messages. Make sure you're on the card that Corey talked about, uh, that, uh, um, uh, you write, say, I want to be on, on Pastor Mike's email list and just make sure your email is very clearly and we'll get you the best we can on that list. But, but because our heart, of the bent of our heart, uh, we need to align our hearts to God's. For you know, alignment to God is where true life, where, where the life that God intends for us is found, that abundant life, that purposeful life, that fulfilling life, that amazing life that we were created to live. And once connected to God through faith in Christ, we, we can't be disconnected, but we can get out of alignment where our hearts grow cold or worse, lukewarm. We'll talk more about that one a little bit later next week. But, but see, it's, it's easy to go through the motions of faith, to attend church, to read our Bibles every now and then, to uh, 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 <clears throat> pray some, give some, all of those different things. And we can even have a, a, be a, a hit, maybe it's guilt or encouragement from a, a touching story, or, or we can uh, have even an aha moment, whether it's in a sermon or, or reading God's word or on the radio listening to something or some music, or even at a, have a camp high where we've gone to camp and made a decision, and then it seems like it all fades too quickly, and we're back to the, the mundane of faith where we occasionally say and do the right things, but our hearts are just not in it. But to have a, a vibrant faith is to continue constantly aligning our hearts to God's, making those choices to align our hearts to God. Because it takes more than lip service. It takes more than being like Jonah. <laughs> We've been studying a lot about Jonah, and, and Jonah has run from God, and, and through God's miraculous intervention, now Jonah has an opportunity of repentance and, and, and a vibrant faith. But the question is, does he take it? And in Jonah chapter 2, we're going to be looking at that and where we can gain four heart-transforming opportunities for living in line with God. Because connecting with God, and this is a phrase I really want you to take home today, connecting with God in humility aligns our hearts to his. 
So let's jump into this study this morning. But before we do, just take your Bibles and set them aside. Why don't you stand up and let's pray and ask God to do something in our hearts. Because I, I really do believe each Sunday, I know how God has something for you. He has something for me because every time I preach it, I get something different that God is challenging me with. But let's pray. Father God, thank you just for the great reality that what your word of God, the word of God does to our hearts. Holy Spirit, you mold that into our hearts and causing change in us. And I pray this morning that maybe there would even be some lights that go on, some aha moments, some some people being drawn closer to you, and that you would use this opportunity, use your word to do what it is intended to do, to cause us to fall in love with you more and to follow after you even greater and to line our hearts to yours. So Lord, may that happen today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat and encourage you to take out of your uh, worship folder that outline I just mentioned to you. You may have already been jotting down some notes, but there's some blanks to fill in on it. The answers are going to be up on the screen, and um, there'll be some opportunities to uh, uh, get that study guide after the service. But take your Bibles and open up to Jonah chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, our wonderful ushers are coming down the aisle right now. They get a stack of Bibles in their hand. If you want to borrow one for this morning, just wave at them. They'd be happy to give you a loaner, and we can enjoy that together as we walk through Jonah, uh, the Bible book of Jonah. Four heart-transforming opportunities for living in line with God. The first opportunity is to connect with God. So let's jump right into Jonah chapter 2. Let me just give you a little uh, um, review of what's happened. Jonah is a, is a prophet of God. He's a man of God that God has selected to say, you speak for me and tell people what I'm going to say, and it'll be so. And so Jonah was very used and accustomed to God speaking to him and for him to speak for God. He had a very close relationship with God. When God said, go, he went. And when God said, do, he did, except for this one time. God came to him in Jonah chapter 1 and said, I want you to go and I want you to, to speak to the Ninevites and tell them that I'm not happy with them. And Jonah got up and went the exact opposite direction. Now, we're not told specifically why, but we get all throughout the book of Jonah, we can see some of the reason why. His heart was out of alignment with God. His heart was far from God. Matter of fact, he said he was trying to flee from the presence of God. It's like he'd lost all sense of who God was in his life and all sense of where he should be, and he, he just left. Well, what happened is, is he, he was in, uh, Jerusalem area. Nineveh is kind of, um, east, northeast from there, and he went southwest through the Mediterranean Sea to a place called Tarshish, which is somewhere down near Spain. And somewhere in the Mediterranean Sea, the sea just kind of just great, great storm came upon them. And it was a God-induced storm to get Jonah's attention. Well, the, the sailors on the ship, are, they're freaking out. They're throwing stuff overboard. They're starting to pray to all their different gods that they worship. And they find out that Jonah's not even praying at all. Hey, you, you got a God. Why don't you pray? And then finally they realized that Jonah was the problem. And they, 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 Jonah said, just chuck me overboard and everything will be great. Well, here's a question for you. If Jonah knew that, why didn't he just jump overboard? Hmm. We're going to talk about that next week. So come back and we'll, some of your life groups have been talking about that. But, but, but Jonah gets thrown overboard. The, the sea calms and then this happens. Verse 17 of chapter 1. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed. Why didn't he pray before? Why didn't he talk to God before? 
Keep that in mind. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. That's the the place of death. I cried, and, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the floods surrounded me, and your waves and your billows passed over me. Again, how come it took this to get Jonah to connect to God? Well, the truth is, sometimes it does take a catastrophe to get us to pray in that hospital room. And we just got let go from our job when that person who we thought was in love with us walked out on us. In those times of deepest, darkest times, or even when we've run from God and we've run to our end, we turn to God. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing that we pray. Jonah had had run, was on the run from God and, and yet had heard God's voice and knew God and, and he knew God hears our prayers. He was very familiar with, with Psalm 45, verse 18, that says, The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. See, there is a great pull for us to not pray because there is a, a, an incredible power when you humble yourselves and you come before Almighty God and begin to talk to him. There's a connection that happens and a, and a power that begins to fill your life when you get close to God. And believe me, there's an enemy out there. He's called the devil of Satan who does not want you to pray. And he will do anything in his power to stop you from talking to God in any way. Because he knows once you do, once you make in humility that connection to God, something begins to happen in your soul. And prayer is definitely a good thing. That connection is powerful. For when we choose to be humble and open and hear God and let him in, something amazing happens. Jeremiah 29 verse 12, when you call upon me, God says, and come and pray to me, I will hear you. Know that God hears your prayer. Even when you're in the depth of your own sin, when you humbly come out to God and, 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 and reach out to him, he will always hear you. That humble heart before God, we gain that sense of who God is. We, we encounter him and his spirit begins to speak into our soul and we have direction and counsel and we can move forward. That's why in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, we're, we're told this is the shortest verse in the Bible is to pray without ceasing. It's actually one word, pray without ceasing, to be always in an attitude of prayer. Yes, to have times of prayer, but also to have that constant connection, being always online with God, shooting back and forth, you know, prayer texts to him and him speaking into your heart. Now, the sad truth is we can pray very self-focused and selfish prayers, kind of like Jonah. I called, I cried, and then it's almost as if he's blaming God. You cast me down. Your waves, your billows, your breakers passed over me. And sometimes we can't help it. Our hearts are not aligned with God and far from him. Jesus spoke of this in in Luke chapter 6, verses really 43 to 45, when he says that the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. So the question is, what does our speech say about our heart? 
And what do our prayers say about our heart? And regardless, prayer will bring us back in alignment with God. Even Jonah prayed, who's running from God. Yes, out of desperation, but that connection with God does something. You can see it does a little bit in Jonah. Uh, But what about you? Will you have that time with God and connect to him? For connecting with God in humility aligns our hearts to his. That's why it's so vital that we continue to have that open conversation with God. He already knows your thoughts, so you might as well just (laughs) verbalize them in your mind and talk to him about it. He wants you to express in that way. Another heart-transforming opportunity is to believe God is great. Let's continue on in Jonah chapter 2, verses 4 to just the first part of chapter 6. Jonah's still praying, and he says, And then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, and yet I shall look again upon your holy temple, Israel, and the waters closed in over me to take my life, and the deep surrounded me, weeds wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountain. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. He's drowning, literally. And he's coming close to his death, and and Jonah thinks he's dying, and yet he's still consumed with his plight, him going down. And see, that's what happens when we align our life to self. It does not elevate, it deflates when we focus on self. And yet God is great. And when we believe in the greatness of God, we don't sink, we literally walk on water. Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 23, some of you know the story of Jesus with his disciples. The disciples are rowing in the Sea of Galilee, and it's a, all of a sudden an intense storm comes up, and, and here Jesus is. He comes out meeting them walking on water. I love Mark's translation of this. He says he intended to walk by, which means there is some kind of comedy in this that Jesus was hoping to see, you know, kind of wave at him. Hi, you guys, you're straining. I'm walking. But you know the scene happens. They think he's a ghost. They freak out. Peter, who always speaks before he thinks, he said, Lord, if it's you, call me out. And Jesus said, come on. That's my interpretation of what he said. (laughs) And so Peter leaps out of the boat, and he begins to start walking on water. He is literally walking on water. No one has ever done that except for Jesus. And now here he is, Peter, walking on water. But then something happens. What happens? He sinks. Why? Verse 30 tells us. But when he, Peter, saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Peter saw the circumstances around him greater than Jesus who called him out. And he began to sink. When he took his eyes off the greatness of his Lord and noticed the circumstances, thinking, oh my gosh, how could I be out walking on water? This storm is so great. And he began to sink because he took his eyes off the greatness of Christ. See, the truth is we face a lot of storms in life. Difficulties, struggles that we face that are huge tempests, huge storms in life. 
financial, relational, family storms, issues that we face, medical issues, mental issues. We face a lot of issues in life. And if you recall in the story of, of, of uh, Peter and walking on water, the storm did not stop. The storm was still raging. The water was still foaming. But he had his eyes so fixated on Jesus, he was able to walk above the storm. God is not going to heal every single issue we have. People are still going to die of cancer. People's relationships are still going to be blown apart. We won't have jobs. Financial issues are going to happen. But the way we can walk on water and not be stuck in under that whole mess and feel so crazy about ourselves is to keep our eyes on the greatness of God. I know some of you struggle, and it's, it's difficult. I know lately I've been struggling with this eye right here. <laughs> um, I can look at you with this eye, and you're all fuzzy. But look at this eye, you're all sharp. Maybe I'll be able to look at this eye. <laughs> uh, and... and I mean, when I start thinking about it, I start freaking out. I'm going blind. I can't believe I'm going to go blind. God, rescue me, save me out of this thing. And, and I start taking my eyes off the greatness of God and thinking of my plight, and I get depressed. But yet, when I look and continue to keep my eyes on the greatness of Christ, you know, it doesn't matter. If I go blind, so be it. I know that my God is greater than that. And if I have to go through life with one eye, I will. It just makes it a little difficult to kind of see my notes, you know. When I... but, but it's to keep my eyes on the greatness of God. Actually, the word great is used several times in the book of Jonah and mostly associated with God's greatness. The book is actually about the great compassion of God not only with the people of the city of Nineveh, and, and, and we'll talk about that in a few weeks, but on the hypocritical soul like Jonah, who is uncomfortably just like me, just like you. Write, write down this um, verse. I just thought about this this morning as I was coming in this morning. Write down Matthew chapter 15, verse 8. Really, if you look at... Um, probably verse 5 or 6 and down into verse 9. Jesus is uh, frustrated with the Pharisees, these hypocrites. He's frustrated because he says, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And I thought, man, that's, sometimes that's just me. Because sometimes I can say all these great flowery prayers about God, but yet I'm so stuck on myself. And, you know, how I'm coming across and people like me and my job is doing, am I doing a good job? And not thinking about the greatness of God and my heart is far from him. And yet our God is compassionate who does not leave us when we reach bottom and in the stinky depths of our own depravity. What a what an amazing God who who meets us sinners at our lowest point. <laughs> well, I, I can still remember when as a young believer, I got caught up into some, some sin and didn't really care about what God said. I just wanted to keep on in that sin. And God could have easily said to me, you know, Mike, I'm just done with you. I saved you and now look at you. You're, you're just going off and doing your own thing. 
You're not thinking about living for me. And he could have just left me there. But our great God kept after me. And he went right with me into the depth of my sin and was constantly there reminding me of how amazing and wonderful and awesome and incredible he is. And I sought to, that's what brought me out of that. What an amazing God that is. God's greatness takes him to the back halls of darkness to rescue us. Wow. What an amazing God we have. Wonderful. Every flower that he has put together in his intricate design and shown its beauty, the power of the ocean, the incredible power of the sun, the, the beautiful landscape that we see around us, the, the incredible diversity of all the animals and bugs and, and uh, even you and me. God is as amazing, wonderful, awesome, and he's also more powerful than anything you could ever imagine. And there's no issue, no struggle that he is not greater over and he will help you walk on water in the midst of any storm that you have. It's to believe in his greatness. What's interesting is the word mostly associated with Jonah in the book of Jonah is down. And that is what the focus on self does. It takes us down and yet our great God brings us up. Believe in the greatness of God and our compassionate God for connecting with God in humility, aligns our hearts to his. God wants our hearts to align to his. Another heart-transforming opportunity is to treasure humility. Let's read on in Jonah again. Now, the last part of verse 6 through verse 7, he says, Jonah's still praying, yet you brought me, you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Seems like Jonah's getting it. He's starting to focus on God, acknowledging and remembering. And we think that Jonah's going to repent and admit his wrong. And yet he goes on that it was good he prayed. <laughs> and his prayer was not, God, I messed up, or please restore me to, the pres- to your presence, or I've done wrong. He just prayed, and that act should be enough. It's not. It's not just what we say. It's what we mean. What our heart says. I know we've got some time, but, but, but I, I, want to, I want you to turn to the Bible book of Psalms. You're, you're in Jonah. Just go west to the Bible book of Psalms, Psalm 51. Because I want you to see what a real confession looks like. Uh, this is a, a written by King David. Now, some of you know King David. He's, he's a man after God's own heart. The Bible says an incredible leader and warrior and a guy who knew God better than anybody else. The book of Psalms is his writings, and he talks about the depths of God like no one else can. And yet, David, even though he had this wonderful, amazing relationship with God, sought not to keep aligned with God, but after more his own pleasures and before long, he's away from God so much so that he commits adultery, he lies, he steals, and he murders. All of those. And he's just living in that and and then finally God gets a hold of him through one of his prophets 
and he realizes his sin, that he reached the depth of his depravity and he knew that God was there and he prays this amazing prayer of confession and we have it written down in Psalm 51. You need to read the whole Psalm, but let me just highlight just a few of the verses there of what he says. Verse three. David is praying this brokenness of a heart. He says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, God, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment, the judgment that David should be snuffed out. He goes on, and then in verse 10, he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and upon me with a willing spirit. That's a prayer of confession, a brokenness, not a remorse for getting caught, but a humble heart that knows we wronged God and don't want to go there again. Psalm 51, 17 puts it this way. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. You see, we cannot fool God. He knows our heart. And the sad reality is we are a lot like Jonah. I know I'm a lot like Jonah. Just going through the motions at times of faith where there's no heart engagement We're running from God like Jonah and no heart change, no evidence of conversion, no evidence of the fruit of the spirit in our life and no more humility. Oh, we could be just like Jonah and say, hey, I pray, I go to church, but our hearts are not there. We actually care less about yielding to God or living in submission to God because We like our sin too much, our pride, our desires, our greed. And that's where Jonah was. Don't be like Jonah. Be like David and have that brokenness before God. Jesus said in Matthew 6.21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So treasure God. Treasure that humbleness before him. For connecting with God in humility aligns our heart to his. The question is, Will you? One more heart-transforming opportunity is to choose impassioned obedience. Uh, go back to, to Jonah uh, chapter 2 again, the last few verses, starting in verse 8. <clears throat> Jonah's still praying, and you're hoping that he's going to have a David-type confession, but he says this instead. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited him, vomited Jonah upon the dry land. We hope that Jonah would repent. And yet in verse 8, he says, at least he's not like those sinner sailors who are worshiping vain idols. And he, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you, O God, empty words, empty actions. We don't see any impassioned, heartfelt uh, uh, obedience to God and honoring God, just empty words and actions. King Saul, 
of ancient Israel was just like that. And though he made a, a barbecue sacrifice to God, and probably some of you are going to have some barbecue sacrifices this afternoon, right? Sacrifice some good meat to the Lord as you have some enjoy time around the Super Bowl. But the smell, isn't the smell of that just wonderful? Oh, sorry. Um, but, but, but Saul was giving this barbecue sacrifice to God, and, and God knew his heart. And the prophet Samuel expressed the words of God like this. Samuel chapter, first Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burst offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. See, God doesn't like it when we just give lip service. He wants our heart to be engaged. And sure, we can go through the empty actions of sacrifice and yet never really engaging our heart. And God wants our heart. And honestly, when we act like Jonah or like Saul, full of empty words and empty actions, it's revolting. And that's why in Jonah chapter 2, verse 10, Jonah didn't just be dropped off. Whoo, there you are on the shore. Or, you know, the fish opened his mouth and Jonah just walked out. Or the fish didn't open his mouth and he kind of rode out in the wave. I'm free. That's not what happened. No, the condition of his heart was so revolting that the fish just puked him out. Now, I know some of you have probably, you know, hurled your lunch before, or you've seen someone do that, or you've been by someone who's done that. It's been on the ground, and it smells awful. So just let that image kind of circulate in your brain about what the God is trying to get across about where Jonah's at. He's covered in fish puke landing on the shore because it's revolting. God could have chose so many other different words to express that, but he wanted to express the reality of what a heart is like, or how he feels about a heart that's far from him. Let's not be like that. Connect with God by choosing impassioned obedience, for connecting with God in humility aligns our hearts to his. The question is, will you? What do the words and actions of our life say about our heart? A good heart is aligned to God and connected, and connecting with God in humility aligns our hearts to his. As we take part in some transforming opportunities to connect with God, to, to believe in, in God's greatness, that God is great, and to treasure humility and to choose impassioned obedience. That's the hope. That's the lesson from Jonah in Jonah chapter 2. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you for the reality of who you are, that you desire for us to be in line with you because you know that's the best place for us to be. And yet, God, sometimes we are so far from you. We are just like Jonah. And, Lord, it's revolting to you, and yet you love us even. You never left Jonah, and you'll never leave us. God, may we align to you. Father, I'm asking you to use even this time of communion to get us back connected to you or make that connection even stronger. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.